Welcome to CEO Money. I'm Michael Yorba. Thank you for joining with us. I have Harry Dent. He is the author and founding editor of Dent Research with me today. Harry, welcome back to the show. Nice to be back, Michael. All right, Harry, let's dive into um, sunspots. I wanted to talk to you about the cycles, what happens when we have high cycles, low cycles, and um, how you see this affecting uh, not only human nature, but also economic activity, micro and macro. Okay, uh, you know, sunspots have been traditionally called an 11 year cycle. And that's what threw me off because I study the markets all the time and all types of cycles. And I didn't see any correlation with 11 years, 12 years, maybe 10 years, definitely. Because Ned Davis had established a, 10, a decennial cycle decades ago. He had a 10 year cycle in business and stocks, a four-year around elections, and then a two-year and a one-year. And he put those all together, made a lot of sense. The problem is it didn't always come in right at 10 years. Usually it was the early part of every decade that he would see there was a higher chance of recessions or a stock crash, and that didn't happen in more recent times. Um, now, I had uh, listened to somebody um, on TV uh, from a major, major fund, one of the largest fund managers in the country at, at, at PIMCO. And he said what saved him from the 2000-2002 crash was sunspot cycles. And I'm like, okay, maybe I need to be look back at this um, um, because, you know, Ned Davis's cycles have not been quite as accurate. And I, and I went back and looked and I said, you know what, when I look back over the last century, when Ned Davis did his analysis and came up with the 10-year average that had worked for most decades, I found that it did average almost 10. It wasn't 11. Scientists say you go back 300 years or something where they have data, it averages 11. So, so that was the first thing that got me, oh, okay, maybe this is real because 10 years does make a big difference. So I started digging in deeper. And then next thing I found was you go back to the 18. 50s, which is a pretty long time where we have good data on recessions and the economy, 88% of such recessions happened in the down cycle of sunspots, which again, has averaged closer to 10 years since 1900, but it was more like 11 years when you go back to the 1700s. So, so I started saying, oh, this, this cycle does look real. Then, then I went a step further and I said, well, what if um, I go back and say major financial crisis, big stock crashes, depressions, bank failures, that thing. 11 out of 11 back 150 years occurred in the down cycle, the sunspot cycle. So I started digging deeper and deeper. So two things, two insights I got. One is that the sunspot cycle tends to be up for only about four years out of 10 on average and down six. So it has a a, a downward bias, even though stock markets have a more upward bias. But a second thing I found that 
the a stock market correction or crash or recession is either likely to happen when the sunspot cycle first peaks and starts to turn down, so changes momentum, or on the other side at the bottom of that cycle. So those can be about six years apart. Third thing I found, and this was the big insight, Michael, these sunspot cycles may average 10 or 11 historically. They can be 8 to 14 from top or bottom to bottom. And, and the, uh, I think the, the bottoms were a little more consistent and the tops were a little wider. So what has happened recently, um, the, the, uh, the top between early 2000 and early 2000 was 14 years between these two tops. The longest such cycle I could find going back, and that explains why the 2008 to recession was off kilter and the stock crash there and so on and so on. But the more I looked at these, the more I saw there was a correlation, and there also is real scientific research, a couple reasons why. Number one, obviously, and a guy back in the early 1900s, I found a book on this, correlated industrial and agricultural cycles with the sunspots, and the industrial business cycles were even closer correlation than the agriculture. Now, in agriculture, the one thing that's clear happens in sunspot cycles, 20% more radiation at the top of a cycle on average than at the bottom. More radiation also means more rainfall due to more evaporation. So rainfall and sun are more favorable for agriculture in these up cycles and less favor in the down. And then of course I found that stocks did worse and more likely to have corrections in the down cycle. So that was really, the more I looked at this and believe me, I, I did this. I, when I announced this to my subscribers at our annual conference years ago, I knew they were going to go, oh, sunspot cycles. Now it sounded like astrology or whatever. <laughs> I knew there was going to be that. So I did my homework and I told them, hey, you don't think this uh, matters and this has a correlation. You do so at your peril. And what saved me at my own conference is a lady stood up and said, oh, hi. Uh, hi, I'm in a nurse in an emergency room and my husband is a police sergeant. We can both tell you that just on a full moon every month with a little more light shining into the night, people go crazy. We get more accidents, more murders, everything. So why wouldn't 20% higher energy coming from the sun on average into the top of the cycle make people feel a little better? What, what do they do when they feel want to feel good on the weekend? Get out and soak up some rays. Feel them more optimistic, more energy, and therefore they might value stocks higher uh, or be more willing to buy or whatever. So it does, it would affect human behavior. It clearly affects agriculture and that affects the economy. But the, my biggest surprise was when the guy in the early 1900s showed the closest correlation. It was even closer with the industrial cycle, which is not as dependent on weather as agriculture. And then the final thing I'll just tell you so we can get more. I was sitting down with Richard Mogi years ago and he's super cycle guy, uh, you know, chairman of the foundation of cycles for, for many, many years. He was the first guy I talked to that really got sunspot cycles. And he said what he finally figured out, what caused them to vary from the average eight to 14 years was the gravitational pull of the larger planets and that the cycle, which is 10, 11 years and maybe a little longer, um, is correlated more with Jupiter, the biggest planet. So that, you know, gravitational pull, that's other, that's more real science. So all of that put together, I, I told my own subscribers, I think it was six, seven years ago, I said, 
This is my fourth cycle in my hierarchy, demographics, technology, and geopolitical. And this is the most important cycle I've found since the demographic, the spending wave cycle in the late 80s, because it helps you target shorter term crashes. My other cycles are 35 to 45 years. This one is more like 10, anywhere from eight to 14, and helps you target what's most important. When are you gonna actually more likely to get that recession or a stock crash, because that affects investors. So this is a big deal. I know people think, oh, why should this impact? And I'm like, why not? Would the sun impact us? Can you think of anything out there around us that would impact us more than the sun? I can't. No, and since we're made up mostly of water, and I'm, I'm very familiar with the gravitational pull effect on humans, so we've talked about the industrial side, we've talked about the agricultural side, we talked just touched on the economic side. What I wanted to bring out from this conversation also is the geopolitical side. In your studies, since we have a higher um, propensity of more sunspots, a higher sunspot activity, therefore creating more volatility on the geopolitical side. Have you done any research on that side to talk about regime changes, more wars, less wars, things of that nature? Because those also affect economic cycles. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Michael, that was my first cycles with the demographic, the, the spending of generations that boom and bust about every 40 years. But, but that can be different and it's very different in different countries. So it's really important to be able to project that cycle by the peak spending in every country and by their own demographic. So that was my first breakthrough. I got my first setback in forecasting. I mean, I, I was like dead on the markets from the late 80s all the way through the early 2000s until the tech wreck came. And after that, the market didn't rebound in its final rally that I was expecting way back in the 2007, as strongly as I expected. And I had to dig and say, why? The earnings were as strong, the economy, the spending, everything was like I thought, that crash, including barely a recession because the demographics were so favorable. And then I, re I went back and back and back and I found a cycle that I had actually heard from Ralph Akampora many years back. And I discounted it because it was close enough to my demographic cycle. He was saying stocks tend to boom and bust about every 17 to 18 years. So I look back at that. Okay, well, the, the demographic boom bust are time 26 up and 14 down about every 40 years. So I look back and look, and, I, and, and, and those cycles really did diverge for the first time. They were enough in sync before that it wasn't a big deal. But, but starting in, in 2000, they did start to diverge. And I look back and I said, no, this is its own cycle. And I tracked it back just like sunspots as far as I about 200 years. And yes, it, it's, it's not exactly 35 years on average, but it is 16 to 18 years up and down. And I can find, again, like, you know, 2000, late 2001, that was when this thing started. And you know what? That cycle is due to bottom right about now, late 2019, early 2020. It's the only one of my four cycles that is going to turn up, but it turns up slowly at first, just like the Cold War started to disappear in the early to mid 80s when Gorbachev started talking to Reagan. That nobody expected that. We'd had the Vietnam War and high inflation and the Cold War. And, you know, like you say, regime change. This is all geopolitical stuff. Um, 
And all of a sudden, things started to get better in the 80s. Well, part of it's the economy's better. But hey, Gorbachev started talking to Reagan. That never happened before with Russian and, 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 and U.S. presidents. So I, this cycle equally is clear throughout history. It, it is 17 to 18 years up, 17 to 18 years down. Not, almost nothing went wrong in the world of substance from 88 through up until 9-11. And after that, we've had one terrorist event after the next. And the Muslim terrorists have turned into the uh, uh, white supremacy terrorists, which are even worse for our country, attack after attack. Um, civil wars all over the Middle East and around the world, but especially the Middle East. This has been a negative geopolitical cycle. And that's a cycle that's going to get better from sometime in 2000 into about 2036 to 37. And, and our demographic cycle gets better from 2023 to two, 19, uh, 2036. The one cycle I have that does not turn around and has, has, is peaking right now is the technology cycle. That's the cause of this latest bubble. And it doesn't turn around till 2032. So a couple insights from all of my cycles, is, you know, including the geopolitical, Things are not going to be as in sync as they were in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, boom, with almost all of them up most of the time. So they're going to be the geopolitical cycle and the technology cycle are, are, are opposite each other uh, more for a while. So, so this, the next boom is not going to be as strong. It's not going to be as in sync. Um, and then they all converge downward again between 2065 and 2074. I, I tell you right now, I would tell people today with a high degree of certainty, you're going to see the next major financial crisis and depression bubble burst sort of economy in that time frame. I can see, say that today to your kids and grandkids because these cycles, even though one, one of the things people don't understand about cycles and the biggest question I get, Michael, on all of these, uh, beyond the sunspots, which are, are the most hard to defend because people have this weird thing about it. The other technology cycles and demographics that people don't understand. But people say, yeah, but Harry, things are changing faster. Yeah, that's all of history. History, human evolution, all evolution, all progress is both exponential, number one, and cyclical. The technology guys get the exponential part. The cyclical people get the cyclical part. Most people don't get both. I get both because I've had to. And, and, and so, yes, the cycles are still the same. Demographic, uh, these boom busts, sunspot cycles are roughly the same long-term cycles. But yes, in every cycle today, more happens. More little cycles happen. More technology progressions. I mean, major tech, uh, electrical appliances used to get updated every 10 years. What are computer cycles every year? Software cycles? Three years, I mean, this is progress. It's always going to get faster, more exponential. But the sun comes up the same, about the same time every day, and we can tell how different it's going to be. We've got that nailed down, just like scientists. The reason I can use sunspot cycles, Michael, is that I can't predict them. I know the average. Scientists do measure this gravitational pull and whatever they do, and they are pretty good. They tag the last one peaking in February uh, no, in December of 2013, and it peaked February 2014. That's close enough for me to be very useful for my subscribers and say, oh, and, and guess when the last stock bubble peaked before this one? March of 2000, right on that sun cycle, cycle stop pot, uh, top. 
and you see the first crash there. And then where did the 2008-9 recession bottom? Right in the bottom of that sunspot cycle in mid to late 2009. So yeah, I, I tell people you want to ignore sunspot cycles and, and geopolitical cycles. Demographics are the e I have no problem explain, explaining that to people because I can measure the peak in spinning. I can project it. I can show it country by country. But these other cycles are just as evident to me. But, you know, it takes a little more convincing when I talk about them, especially the sunspot cycle. But these all work and they don't change that much over time. I think the sunspot cycle probably was 12 years or 13 maybe on average in another times in history. And now the gravitational forces of big planets may be tilting them. They have obviously tilted them more towards 10. They were 11 just 100 to 200 years ago. Like I say, they might have been 12 to 13 before that, and they might be 12, 100 years from now. But right now, scientists can time them, and, and, I, and the average is closer to 10. And the, the decennial cycle has been one of the best with just some minor variances. And now I can be ahead of most of those minor variances because I can let the scientists tell me. And they're, they're telling me this next sunspot cycle is going to peak a bottom later than they thought at the earliest late 2021 and maybe as late as early 2023. So I'm going to keep up on that. My other factors say this next crash is likely to start in early 2000 or so and bottom somewhere between late 2022 and 23. So sunspot cycles may be lining up on that one as well as they look at them. Uh, one more thing I'll say about sunspot cycles, Mike. There's also longer term patterns. Sunspot cycles do affect climate more than just these 10-year cycles. Right. They get more intense over time and less. The lowest intensity in modern history was the Maunder minimum between 1650-ish and early 1700s. That was a mini ice age with other climate cycles not being any different. Though sunspot cycles alone going to the lowest intensity in hundreds of years caused a mini ice age. You know, right now, the cycles have been pointing down a bit since 1959 in intensity, lower and lowest point they've been since then. And they're expected to be lower at least one more cycle. So we're getting minor cooling influences, which may help us out a little bit on global warming, but probably not for long. So where are you looking for this low to occur? What, what's the cycle going forward for that? Well, again, I, I've got two <clears throat> I, I, different groups of scientists look different. I side with the one that is saying uh, later, because because again, the one that said later, more like 2000, late 2021 to early 2023, they're the ones that quoted, literally quoted gravitational forces. Well, that's the people that understand. They're the ones that have the best indicators. So that's the one I'm going with. There's another group that said late 2021. Uh, five or six years ago, they were projecting it would be more um in 2020 this bottom so so it has extended out we have we've been low now uh for over a year and it looks like they're just going to stay on the bottom there's very little sunspot activity right now again that is another factor that would just tell me as a cycle guy that the chances uh that's another reason that the chances of a recession and a stock crash are higher than average we're at the same part of the sun cycle spot cycle we were coming into 2008 and 2009 right now. So for the layman watching the show, we're looking for slower economic activity, creating some kind of a, a low, if you will, a potential buying low between 21, 2021 to 2023. Between now and then, it would be optimum to 
um, to hedge your assets that would reduce in value slower because you can't really, I mean, maybe you'll find a pocket somewhere, but for the most part, play it safer if you can going into the 21-23 economic slowdown cycle, which would create a low in economic activity in that area. That's where you're looking for major longer term investments. Is that my, I got that right? Yeah, if I look at all four, including the sunspot cycle, which is the best short term, they all four kind of converge, especially on 2020, 21. And and, and in general, between 2020 and 22 are the worst of all of them combined. So I really do expect we're going to I do not think that this economy will hold up much past the next election and could decide the next election if they start to crash. And other leading indicators have pointed that my my wild card is Trump giving money, starting to give money straight to consumers by a payroll tax cut or something like that. And he's already talking about that. So that's the wild card. And again, we've seen I've seen already that the central banks with such aggressive easing trillions and trillions of dollars of stimulus. And now Trump cutting taxes in good times. You cut taxes in bad times, not in good times, You, you, you know. And, and uh, you know, like Reagan did in the early 80s and stuff. So 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 they are affecting things, but but they're going against the grain here. And, and, and I don't think they can do it much longer. Now, the other opportunity here, you mentioned hedging, which was a very good thing to bring up here because the stock markets, because of this stimulus and the, the central banks just supporting the market. Every time they go down, they pump more. They don't let much happen. The market just keep going up. That means put options, which is the, the best insurance to get on a stock portfolio. If you don't want to constantly be selling because you're worried about the crash and you don't want to, but you don't want to be caught by that first dastardly 40 to 50% crash, which is typical of major bubble. I mean, that happens the first two to three months. It may be 70, 80, 90 down the road, but 40 to 45 to 50% can happen in the first two to three months. And that's typical. The best way to do that is when stocks get highly valued, like now, and then maybe I think early next year, even more likely, I think this bubble is likely to continue a little longer. You can buy like a six month put option for maybe 3% of your stock portfolio and have insurance. And if that happens, you might even make money. Or just as a speculator, you wanna take a few percent uh, and, and, and speculate if the NASDAQ gets up, if we go up to 10,000 NASDAQ, I'd say that's a that's the most likely sign of a top to me early next year, NASDAQ 10,000. We may get there, we may not. I think there's a good chance we will. If it gets there, I'm going to be telling people to pull the plug on stocks. And that's a really excellent time to buy a put option to insure your portfolio or simply to make a 10 to 20 bagger in three to six months, catching that first crash. I've had some people call me. I was on the phone with Switzerland this morning, and this guy owns a, a major gold gold dealing company, and he wants, and for the first time in, in decades, he's like, look, I want to come on. I want to start talking about gold on your show. And he's very in-depth with the banking uh, system in, you know, he's very ingrained in it in Europe. And yeah. I, have you done any correlation between sunspots and the precious metals? I don't see one there as much. It, it, it does correlate more with the, with the economy. Now, I'll tell you what does correlate with gold and commodities, and that's a 30-year cycle. Okay. Uh, you look back, uh, 1920, 1949 to 51, a double top, 1980, again on the nose, 30 years. 
And then recently, 2008 for most commodities, but for the metals and gold, um, it was 2011. You're talking, again, about every 30 years, these things peak and then and they bubble up into that like they did in 1980 and crash. So a lot of people think gold, oh, it's crash is over. No, this commodity cycle, 30 years, with you know peaking in 2008, well, you would expect it to bottom around two. That's another thing that points to around 2023, give or take. So it's another cycle pointing down. I think this is a bear market rally in gold because all the central banks are talking about getting printing more money again, buying more bonds again, getting more uh, accommodated. And gold just sees more money printing. And gold likes inflation. Gold's like money printing. But as we saw in 2008, gold does not like a deep downturn and does not like deflation. Gold is as good an inflation hedge as you'll find. Commodities are a good inflation hedge. So is real estate, by the way. Everything else hates in inflation. Stocks hate it. Bonds hate it the most. And so that I see deflation in this next downturn to deleverage all these debt and bubbles. A lot of money. We have $300 trillion, no, $330 trillion now in financial assets and $250 to $260 trillion in debt globally. That debt is going to have to deleverage 20, 30% or more. Financial assets are going to deleverage 50% or more on average. Stocks the most. And money is going to disappear. That means deflation. I say gold goes down to 700 to 1,000 in the next few years. While everything else crashes, it'll hold up better than stocks, better than a lot of other commodities. But then you buy it. The next 30-year commodity cycle should be approximately 2023 to 2038 to 40. And I think it may, in a period of not as high inflation as we've seen in the past, commodities will be have an advantage because emerging countries are the biggest commodity producers and consumers. They spend much more of their income on commodities. And guess which two large countries love gold as consumers, not just as investors, as consumers, India and China, the future demographics and the, the biggest part of the world other than Africa not to have urbanized fully is Asia. Asia is the next great boom. Western countries are going to fade increasingly. Europe right away. U.S. on a lag. Everything's going to be Asia, and Asians love gold. So I think you can see gold go to the four or five thousand that gold bugs talk about all the time. But I'm just telling the gold bugs, you'll be dead when that happens. That'll happen over time. Gold could go to seven hundred or so, maybe a thousand at best, and then rally to three, four, five, six thousand. But that's going to take couple decades, uh, you know, 15 years into 2038, 40. I think I'll be close to dead by then, let's put it that way. All right. You, but I think it'll happen. Let me ask you this, because on the last interview, we spoke about cryptocurrencies. Do you see that as a major factor going on forward? Because if we have a deflation here, we have um, slowing economies. There is a big move in that in that world to decentralize the, their in their investment capital so that it doesn't get as affected. Do you see that as being an alternative storehouse for value going forward with these factors you mentioned about the economy slowing down, geopolitical um, aggression slowing down, and the stock market entering into a bearish phase? 
Well, this is where I'm a little contrary even to the crypto guys. I, I've lectured at three crypto conferences in the last year, including the Satoshi Roundtable, which was so secret they didn't tell me where it was till three weeks ahead to book my <laughs> damn ticket. Um, yes, uh, they see that, that, that Bitcoin in particular tends to bubble every time that they have the production, which happens again in sometime in 2020. So the next bubble, like we have one at 13, late 13 peak, 17, the next bubble peak on the normal crypto cycle would be late 2021. I have a different view. I look at, at cryptocurrencies and in particular blockchain technologies as internet 2.0. It's the next phase of technology, decentralization, better security, lower costs, faster speeds. It is the next phase of the internet and the internet's starting to fail in security and a lot of things. I don't even wanna use the internet. I'm so sick of passwords and, and telling people when my dog's name and my childhood friend, which I can't even remember anymore, you know, all this crap, just to buy a lollipop on, 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 on the internet. So I think it's a big deal. But what happens in the next big deal you can just look at the internet. I, and in fact, I look at blockchain as internet on about an 18 to 20 year lag. And, and within my 45 year technology cycle where you'll see two F's curves overlapping each other. Internet was the first one, this is the second one. So basically look at the internet, what happened in, in late, the, the tech bubble was, was well in motion, computers, software, all this stuff. The internet came at the end, the 98 crash, the internet came roaring out of there, led by Amazon and companies like that, and went to the sky between late 98 and early 2000, and really topped off, made that bubble so bubbly, and then crashed 95%. So uh, Amazon went up to God knows what, 160, you could have bought it at six bucks, and now it's over 2000 and gonna go higher for it. So, so I think it is the next big thing, but I think it's in the same hype phase the internet was. It may have, if stocks bubble, as I think, continue to bubble, it, it, and, and Bitcoin, I just predicted this at the conference. They said, oh, Bitcoin's going to bubble in 2020. I said, no, I think it's going to bubble with stocks into early to mid 2020 and be just ahead of stocks and much stronger and then crash with the bubble crash. It's the bubble of bubbles. It's the bubble to end the second tech bubble, like the internet was the bubble in its hype phase. And then when it crashes, I would just like I'd buy gold in 2022, 23 at 700 bucks, hand and fist. I would buy cryptos and, 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 and blockchain companies after the next crash, probably around 2022, give or take it, because that's gonna be, I mean, the internet boom nonstop from 2021, 20, I mean, I'm sorry, from 2001 to two, into now and it's getting ready to peak for a long time as well. So again, I, I project, I look at the internet cycle and how well it did, including its hype phase and crash. And I see blockchain cryptos doing the same thing on an 18 to 20 year lag. So I'm very bullish on that. I think they're in the hype phase and these things like the early internet stocks were worthless. And even the ones that had real sales and some scale, AOL were valued at 400 times earnings at the top. No, no sizable company can fulfill that valuation. No one ever on anywhere on the earth. Only a really small, very early stage company. The other internet companies had nothing. These crypto, Bitcoin is not big enough to back currencies, not even close. It could be in 10 years. But as you uh, hinted at earlier, and that, that was a very good insight, 
as the world comes down and, and you know the chinese got tons of money tied up in china they always trying to launder it out you know buying condos in the u.s buying businesses in the u.s or australia or london or whatever they're laundering their money out every time we start to have uncertainty or or, or china clamps down and the economy is bad. chinese use uh cryptocurrencies to move money out of their country so this is something that could start to spark and over time i think these things will be a big deal. I just think they first go down with the bubble like the internet stocks did. And because 90% of these cryptocurrencies and blockchain companies are BS and they don't have anything. They, you know, they, you know, pet crypto, uh, nonprofit crypto. I mean, they, they're doing a, this is ridiculous. There are some real companies. Bitcoin's probably one of them, Ethereum and others. But uh, you know, you don't see who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. And I think that's going to happen very soon for cryptocurrencies. And then I'd love to buy some of the best ones. But Got you have to buy a number. You can't tell early stage who's going to succeed. But the, the field could narrow down 80 to 90 percent. So you got a lot better picking at that point. Great. Thanks, Harry. Appreciate you coming on the show today. OK, we'll do it again, Michael. You've got it. All right, you've been watching CEO Money with Michael Yorba. Thanks for joining with us. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.